0: <laughs> okay, we start. So next Sunday night is Rosh Hashanah, 10 days away. So I was thinking the, the most significant, uh, and actually the question came up uh, earlier in the week. The most significant uh, symbol of Rosh Hashanah, aside from the shofar, is what? What do you think the most... the symbol Aside sim- sim- from the, the shofar? Honey. Beautiful. The apple and the honey, right? So everybody has the apple dip You know, the first song they teach in little kid in Hebrew school is "Dip the Apple in the Honey," right? So it's funny. My I was thinking about my have two grand now two year olds. They're gonna start school, and that's what they're gonna learn: dip the apple in the honey on their one day of school before the holiday. So we know that that the question is, what's the source of this custom, and really, does it mean anything? We know that in the in the Shulchan Aruch, in the in the in the code of Jewish law, so to say. Maran Bet Yosef, uh, Rabbi Yosef Karo, he codifies that when we sit down on Sunday night to eat, he said one should have the practice of eating the following foods on Rosh Hashanah. Now, he lists these five based on the Gemara. He lists black-eyed peas. And why do we eat black-eyed peas? So so that our merits should be multiplied, because black-eyed peas is a lot of them. It's very strange. Leek. Because from the word for leek, which is which is karte, right? So that's may our enemies be cut down. Swiss chard, because of the word, may our enemies disappear. Dates, and we say uh, that may our enemies meet their end. And squash, may a decree against any decree against us be torn up. And then uh, he adds the rama adds the apple and the honey. The rama is Rav Moshe Isilis. He's he, he's from Poland. And he adds to the five listed above to eat an apple dipped with honey. He also adds that we should eat pomegranates because pomegranates have a lot of seeds. And if we eat pomegranates, our merits should be increased like the seeds of the pomegranate. And keep going further. You have the tour writes that in Provence, they would eat the head of a sheep. In some place, they would take the head of a sheep and dip the head of the sheep in the honey. So that the year they should be for the head and not the tail, and finally, Rav uh, Mayor of Rothenburg, he says they would eat a ram's head to remind them of what does a ram remind you? Akedah Yitzchak. Good. So, so we have. Uh, I went through the binding, of Isaac. the binding of Isaac. Okay. So we have all of these sources, and really, everyone is is all of the the Rishonim are going through. The custom to do these things. Not only that, the Magen Avraham and other rabbis, but the Magen Avraham is mid 17th century, he writes that in each country one should make a request corresponding to the name of the fruit in the common language. So he says that wherever you are, whatever the name of the local fruit is, if you could come up with a saying, then do it. Have a saying. And it sounds very, very strange. How could this help? How could eating a food destroy enemies? How could eating a food tear up an edict? How could eating a food multiply a person's merit? And our custom is to make the blessing, we eat the food, and then we say this prayer. So the the question some rabbis ask, what's more important, the eating the food, or the saying the prayer? And does the eating really help? Does it do anything to eat the food? So we discussed before there's a Kabbalistic concept known that we have a, a physical act is needed to stimulate a spiritual act above. Sort of like if you want to turn the lights on in heaven, you have to move the switch below. So by doing a physical act below, sometimes we can force a spiritual response above. But here, where, where is that? Ramban, in Parshat Lech Lecha, He says that when someone says something below and it agrees with an edict above, it helps to strengthen the edict to come true. So if we're saying that Hashem should increase our merits and it's meant to happen, then it'll increase it, make it stronger. The Kafachayim, he writes that the most important thing is the Kavana. A person has to think what they're doing he has to think what they're doing and he says even if, for example, say a person is allergic to a certain food or a person's not going to eat a sheep's head, right? Like, Or the fish head or whatever it is. Like in, in my house, there's no fish head and no sheep head. We take Swedish fish and we cut off the heads and, and that's the head because no one's eating the fish head and no one's eating the sheep head. And no one's eating any other head. So the Swedish fish head, they'll all eat. So we cut off the heads of the Swedish fish and put them each on a... And a little, uh, yeah, a little uh, toothpick. And that's uh, eat the head. So he says, so what if a person doesn't want to eat the food? He says then he should look at the food and he should say the prayer and have in mind. Why? Because the Gemara, when it talks about it, in one place it says eat the food, in another place it says look at the food. Then he says, well, what if you can't even get the food? What if you live in a place? There's no pomegranates this year. He says, just think about the food and say the prayer. So it seems what he's saying is the prayer... Is the most important and not the food So if the prayer is the most important Why don't we just say the prayers Why do we need to go through this whole thing of eating these foods He says And and, and the fact is, 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 is Does eating a date guarantee me a good year Does the prayer give me a good year Does the prayer and eating the date give me the good year Do both together or do neither So if you think about Rosh Hashanah It's a good question right you know the answer? Not yet, okay. So, if we think about Rosh Hashanah, we think about Rosh Hashanah as the day of judgment. We say in the synagogue, we say a hundred times, Yom matadin, the day uh, that, that judgment is standing, the day God is standing in judgment. We say that everyone passes before God in judgment, we're all like sheep passing in front one by one, and Hashem is going to judge us for life and for death, etc., etc. It's like the judge sitting at the bench in the courtroom, we imagine, There's a scale in front of the judge. And they're sticking on all your good things on one side, all your bad sins on the other side, and we see which one weighs more. Black and white, it is what it is. We go to the accountant, he takes out the balance sheet, examine the balance sheet, it is what it is. That's what's called righteous judgment. Righteous judgment means it is or it isn't. Either you did it or you didn't do it. Either your merits outweigh your sins or your sins outweigh your merits. So what in the world is the possible benefit of eating gourd on Rosh Hashanah? How does gourd help you? If you did more mitzvot than sins, you lean to the right. If you did more sins than, than, than mitzvot, you're leaning to the left. And, if we, and if we, like we said, if it's the prayer, then skip the food. So one day, a guy came to my rabbi, and he said to my rabbi, right before Rosh Hashanah, he said to him, listen, I, I want to know, I, I, I haven't gotten a raise In in a few years And I know we're going to Rosh Hashanah And everything is decided on Rosh Hashanah How am I going to go And what do I do on Rosh Hashanah What Kabbalistic thing could I do What prayer could I make that I should get a raise In my salary I want to get a raise, I want my boss to give me a raise So the Rabbi turned to him and said It's very important to know, what do I do Rosh Hashanah, everything is decided We say a person's whole income is decided On Rosh Hashanah, so what do I do so the rabbi said to him, when we sit down at the beginning of the meal, and we have all the other simanim, all the other foods we eat, he says, take a piece of celery, and put a piece of celery on every plate of the table. Okay, and he said, inside the celery, where you have the opening in the celery, you put a bunch of raisins. And he said, and what do you do? He says, you pick it up, and you say, that song? it should meet your will, Hashem Elokeinu, God of our fathers, year by year, what you should do is give me a raisin and celery. A raisin celery, <laughs> a raisin celery. Okay, raisin celery. Oh, yeah. okay. Now, it seems, but but you think it's a joke, right? It sounds like a joke, right. and really in reality, does. it should be a joke, really right?
1: Like yep. mm-hmm.
0: But we mentioned the Chachamim say any language you have, you should do the Yihiratzon. So a raisin in the celery, raisin celery, will give you a raise. That's what he's saying. How? This is again. It's we totally said in English. yes, any language. He says, okay. we do them in Hebrew, Aramaic, but that's because that was the language there. So now, you, if you're English, try to take any anything in English and come up with it and do that, and mm-hmm. that should work. What was she doing? we <laughs> <Thinking That>,
1: jokes. <laughs>
0: so the the question then is, but that's what you should do. So the question is, how? You have the day of judgment, the angels are around you, Hashem's at the bench, there's the prosecuting attorney, there's the defense attorney, we go through all these images. Imagine if we're in an American court and you come into court and you did something, whatever you did, and the judge says, okay, the jury is now going to read the verdict. Defendant, please rise. And the defendant gets up and says, Your Honor, before the jury reads the verdict, can I ask you a favor? And the judge says, what would you like? He goes, well, I have an apple here and a little honey. I want to dip the apple in the honey and I want to pray to the jury that they should give me a sweet verdict. What's the judge going to tell you? He's going to throw you in the jail for contempt of court if you're going to stick it in the middle. So if if we're saying that that's what we would do in a court here, how could we imagine in a court in Shemayim, in a court in heaven, that Hashem is going to look at what we're doing and He's going to say, ah, beautiful, I'm going to give you a sweet judgment. But I've heard also the converse to that you're not supposed to eat anything <coughs> that's bitter or sour on, on Rosh Hashanah. Right. Which does?
1: Well, we'll, we'll t- to spoil everything.
0: Ah, so how... But then the question is, how does that do it? So the rabbis tell us there's a recipe for teshuva. What's the recipe to repent? A person does something wrong. He has to admit I did something wrong. He has to regret that he did the wrong thing. And he has to change his behavior the same way of anything in life. Realize you did something wrong, regret that you did it, change the behavior. So when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, New Year, Judgment, what do I have? Either I do Teshuvah or I don't do Teshuvah. Either I repented and I did all these things or I didn't do them. So now the, the problem is that this, this advice to do these Simanim comes from the Talmud. And not only does it come from the Talmud in one place, it's actually repeated in two separate pages of the Talmud. Almost word for word with a couple of of differences. So if we look in the Gemara, it says as follows. And this is the page where it tells us about the Simanim. It says in the Gemara, if if one wants to know if he's going to survive the coming year, if a person's going to live or not, He should hang a lamp, he should take a a candle, and he should light a candle during the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in a house, in a room which is not windy. He lights a candle in a room that's not windy. If the oil or if the candle burns out completely, then he's going to live. But if the candle blows out, he better call his insurance uh, broker, (laughs) make sure the policy is paid up. Because he's not going to make the year. That says in the Gemara. If a person wants to know if his business is going to be successful, the Gemara, the Talmud says, what should the person do? Buy a rooster. He buys a rooster and he feeds the rooster. If the rooster gets fat, his business will go well. But if the rooster gets skinny or dies, call the bankruptcy attorney. It's all over Finally, if a person wants to know, he's going to go on a road trip. In those days, a road trip was a little dangerous. He took a boat to a place. You have to make sure no one's going to kill you, no pirates are going to get you. If he wants to know if he's going to go and return, he should go into a dark room. He lights a candle, and if he sees the shadow of the shadow, I don't really know what that means, but it's a double shadow, then he knows he's going to go, and and he's going to come back. But if he only sees a single shadow, he could cancel the return ticket. This is the Gemara. At the end of the Gemara, talking about these omens, the Gemara says, you know what? All of these things, don't do. Don't do. We're talking about the Gemara says certain things a person wants to know if he's going to live, light a candle, if the candle uh, you, if it blows out. He says these are the things a person should do. He wants to know if he's going to do well in business, da, da, da. all these things. But then the Gemara says, don't do them. Why not do them? He says, perhaps... He's not going to see it. Perhaps the candle is going to go out. Perhaps he's going to worry. And and because of this, misfortune is going to come to him. The uh, the other Gemara says the same thing. And he says that if he sees it and he worries, his mazal will become ruined. And that's going to cause him that he doesn't return or that he doesn't live. Okay, that's the, the, the Gemara. After this, the next line of the Gemara says But, since we know that omens are significant Because of this Gemara What a person should do Is on Rosh Hashanah A person should eat Kara, he gives the list Kara, gourd, rubia, black-eyed peas karte, leeks, silka, swiss chard Tamre, dates And the question is why? And the Gemara says, these things grow quickly and these things are sweet. Okay. That's it. So the Gemara tells us we should eat these things because they're a good omen for a good year. And that's why we begin Rosh Hashanah by eating these five foods. The question is, how does it work? How could it work? How could eating a food make a difference? Okay. Now let's go to the pedashah. And from the Pera we're going to come back to try to answer the question. The question, well, is, the question is, why do we I eat... That's the question. Are we? Eat, are those foods? Do they have any power? Do, does the food have so where, the power?
1: Your faith?
0: Does eating the food have the power, or do the words of the Yehiratzon have the power?
1: Oh, what
0: about God? No, you're but saying but, but it no. to Hashem. Yehiratzon, Hashem, Lo Keno. Maybe your will, Hashem, Al God.
1: Oh, you know, if I say this. Yeah, yeah. It's sugula.
0: It's sugula. Yeah, but, but the Gemara is telling you it works.
1: Oh, look at
0: that! How could it work? Woo! So the question is, either you judge for what you did. How does this add merit? How could you add merit? Because because a pomegranate has a lot of seeds. But Rabbi, is the goal is your is your scale on the judgment? Does the angel take the pomegranate and pour it on the side of the is that of the merit? Is that, is that, that the Seems right. very strange. Yeah. But rabbi. the Gemara is saying no, do it all. Wow. Eat the foods and not only Gemara. Every Rabbi, all the Rishonim tell you to do it. We quoted in the beginning. All the Rishonim tell you to do it. Not only those five foods. We're up to eight already. But do we hold by that Gemara? We hold. We all do it. The Shulchan Aruch says, eat the food. You did, you did, you did two nights? The tour, we do it both nights. nights. Yeah. By sword do it both nights. The tour writes about it. Shulchan Aruch writes about it. Every single rabbi writes about it. Yeah, it's hibby-jibby. So let's try to understand, how could it work? Oh, you got, oh, you figured sorry, it out yet?
1: <laughs> you figure, figure it out yet? Abrazarat. How
0: it works? Not yet, right? Okay, good. Okay. Now, this perashah we read, Kitavor. We read about blessings and curses. We always read this perashah with blessings and curses two weeks before Rosh Hashanah. We always break because it ends with 98 curses. We don't want to go into Rosh Hashanah with curses. So we have another perashah next week. You read 98 curses. Next week we read Nitzavim. What is Nitzavim? It says, Atem Nitzavim, you are standing, meaning even though you heard 98 curses, don't worry. Atem Nitzavim, you're still standing, you're still okay, you're still okay, right before Rosh Hashanah. And we say, Tichle Shana, the Kile We sing a song at the beginning of Rosh Hashanah that, that the, each stanza ends, Tichle Shana, the Kile end the year and its curses. The beginning of the perasha that, that gives us all these blessings and curses talks about when you come into the land and you're going to possess the land, you're going to plant your fruits and you have to bring the first fruits to Jerusalem or to the place that I will show you, to the Kohen in Jerusalem. Now, how much do you bring of first fruits? I, grow a whole gro- I have a whole uh, thing of grapes, uh, a vineyard of grapes. What? So interesting, so you saying
1: 10%. How
0: much do I bring of bikurim? So the Mishnah says, these are the things, she'en lahem shi'or. These are the things that have no shi'or. And the one of the things that have no shi'or is habikurim. Right. Mm-hmm. That have no amounts, and that is the first fruit. Meaning that I have, I have a thousand acres of grapes to fulfill the law by the letter of the law. Now, the rabbis later on came and said, no, a person shouldn't be stingy and he should give a specific amount. But to fulfill the obligation, according to the Torah, if I'm in my farm, I take the first grapes that came off, I stick them in a basket, I travel down from the north to Jerusalem, it takes me two weeks to get there. By the time I get to Jerusalem, those grapes turned into raisins. a couple of raisins. I come into Jerusalem, the whole town has to stop if you're in your store, you have to close the store. Everyone sees me bringing the first fruits. Everyone comes and starts singing and dancing. And we have a parade. And I bring the basket to the Kohen, the priest. And the Kohen looks and says, what do you bring me? <laughs> Rotten, raisins. Two raisins. Rotten, two, raisins. <laughs> oh, two raisins. What does that mean? It says that a person who does this and brings his Bikurim and comes with the happiness and joy... And singing and dancing and all of this, it says that he's going to hear in his ear. The Gemara says that Hashem's going to say you should be zocher to do this next year. He's going to hear God saying you should merit that next year you should be able to come with your fruits again.
1: Who consumes
0: the fruit? The kohen Now, what if what does that mean? That Hashem is actually whispering in his ear, you should be zocher, you should merit to be back next year. That means God is saying, I guarantee you'll be around next year. And not only, I guarantee, you'll be around, you'll yeah, have you food you in order to bring. No, no, he's bringing you a You your, zuchay, your oh, merit. Okay. You merit to be here it's next okay. year. It's as if God is saying, thanks, buddy, I'll see you next year. Curl, yeah. So the rabbi asks, is it true whoever comes is blessed? That a person should come and he should have the zokheh, that Hashem should tell him, no problem, I'm going to give you the next year. And why only with bikurim? Why only with first fruits? Why not other mitzvot? What's so special about bringing the first fruits? This parasha that Hashem should tell you. So comes the AriZal to explain all of this. He says the Gemara is very disturbing. You go through the signs and it says if you light the candle and the candle stays lit, you're going to live. But a person who the candle goes out, he's going to die. He says, what do you mean? I'm going to die? He says he's not ready to go. He still has debts to pay. He has things to do. He has people to see. You know, he has something to do. So the Arizal says, what happened? What happened? He says, really what happened when the guy lit the candle? And he was hoping the candle would stay lit and he wanted to see if it stays lit. Hashem wrote the year that he's going to live. But what happened? The dark side came. The Satan came. And what did he do? He blew out the candle. Why did he blow out the candle? To make the guy crazy. (laughs) <laughs> and when he makes the guy crazy, what happens to the guy? He thinks he's going to die. So what is that? He comes. He becomes yeah, very paranoid, very depressed. Right? He's depressed. We say what is the tool of the satan? Depression is the tool of the dark side, and says the AriZal, this depression will kill him. Depression can kill a person. A person could be ruined. Didn't mean
1: depression or. Despair?
0: Both words, same. Depression and despair. Yagon Anakha, can we say both words? Depression, This despair, can ruin a person. It ruins his mood, it ruins a person. So the Gemara says, don't do these tricks. Don't light the candle, don't raise the chicken, don't check for the shadow, because what's going to happen, even if it's positive, maybe the sign is going to mess you up, and you're going to be messed up the whole year. Your despair, I like that word better, will destroy your mazal. It'll destroy your mazal, and it's all over. That's what kills a person. Yagon and Anakha, depression and despair, kill a person. Careful about being upset, because, because this ruins a mazal. Explains the Arizal. After teaching us that depression can destroy a person, depression could destroy a person's mazal, Then the Gemara continues and Abaye the Rabbi says if depression could bring down mazal and destroy a person then joy and happiness and satisfaction bring up the mazal. That's the brilliance of Abaye. He says the secret to build mazal is what? Eat those five things. Eat those five foods. How? He says, within those foods, there's tremendous energy. They grow quickly. And he says something very particular about these foods. If you go to the store and you buy any of these foods, you come home sometimes and you cook them, and they're tasteless. They taste like wood or they're sour. A pomegranate could be either very sour or it could be very sweet. He says, all of these foods, he says, that's what distinguishes them. They could be sour, or they could be sweet. They could be, taste like nothing, or they could taste like everything. He says, the Arizal says, what's our job? He says, even if the food is tasteless, we have to taste the food and make sure we sweeten the food in order to be able to say, wow, fantastic, marvelous. I appreciate it. Thank you, Hashem. I'm happy. I'm happy. He says this is the secret He says Rosh Hashanah has the ability To change a person From bad to good Changes mazal Lematek et hadin To sweeten the judgment the dates, What, the what days, does it mean? The, the foods, the, the list of the foods The dates, the gourd, all those foods
1: the day, itself?
0: the day itself So watch, you're going to see right. Hashem goes from the seat of judgment right. To the seat of mercy what we have to do is try to take something that might be bad and turn it into something good. We discussed in the, in the past this concept called teshuvah me'ahavah. Repentance out of love. What is it? So if I imagine that God is like my father, right? And imagine I do something bad. Imagine, okay, I went and I stole some kid's bicycle, right? I stole the bicycle. I saw the bicycle, I wanted, I stole the bicycle. Now I realize, oh my gosh, I stole the bicycle. Everyone's gonna know not only that I stole the bicycle, that Hashem is my father, and I embarrassed Hashem because he's embarrassed that his own kid would steal the would steal the bicycle. It's so my regular father. My father's gonna be embarrassed. How could my kid steal the bicycle? How could he do that? So I feel worse that I embarrassed my father than that I stole the bicycle. So what do I do? Feeling this way, I go and I admit I stole the bicycle. I regret I stole the bicycle and I'm going to return the bicycle. So I go to my father and say, Dad, I'm so sorry. You know what? I'm the guy who did it. I stole the bicycle. And I feel worse, not that I stole the bicycle, but that I embarrassed you because of what I did. Now what does my father do now? He's so happy that his son was able to do this. So what in fact happens I've taken the sin of stealing the bicycle And I've turned it into Something sweet Something sweet, a merit You understand? I took this and I turned it around This is called Teshuvah me'ava. This is how we can take a sin And turn a sin into a merit Not only do we erase the sin Or put off the sin But we took the sin and used the sin To elevate ourselves This is the idea of B'nei Korach The children of Korach climbing out of the pit. Because they use the negative in order to elevate themselves. In the face of the negative, they elevate themselves to Hashem. So he says, the the Vilna Gaon. Yes?
1: So is this also the idea of the accountability? So the Korach line, some very low, due to some very aggressive thinking on their part. So as you admit, it it sort of unburdens you. So assuming most people aren't that low, they carry a burden of shame, of guilt, of woe, related to the constant fight, I guess, within within themselves that that wasn't the right thing to do. Now, if they don't have any sense of that wasn't the right thing to do, like, oh, it's mine, (laughs) that's just lost. You, okay. you need those three it. things.
0: Okay. You need to realize you did something wrong, meaning the admission. Okay. That's first. Without realizing that I did something wrong, thinking that I'm perfect, I'm just living in a world in, a, in an illusion and it's that's it. I'm living in a fantasy. What? Not a very good joke. <laughs> that's the first. The second is when I realize what I've done wrong, I have to regret that I did it. Okay. I can't just admit that I did it. I have to regret I have to feel bad. I have to realize there was something wrong in what I did. And then I have to repair what I did. So if it's between man and man, I have to go and make up for what I did to that person. Because God won't forgive us what what we did between others until we go and repair between people. And if it was between me and God, then I try to repair not to do it again, so to say. Now, so, so he goes, the Vilna Gaon says, the big, a big test that we have is how happy am I with God and with the world he gave me. He says, if one is happy with Hashem and with what we have in life, he says, that's the secret to, to sweeten the judgment. Our own joy, our own satisfaction, our own happiness. If we're counted as one who brings joy to all situations, if we're the one who brings the happiness, if we're the one who brings the smile, if you go into the room and make other people happy, then we have to remember that God always behaves to us as a mirror of our behavior towards others. So if we bring joy, then God requires himself to do what? To bring bring joy. joy to us. Good? Now... To reach that level is to love Hashem and to be happy. And that's why we have the words Ivdu et Hashem b'simcha, serve Hashem with joy. Could
1: you repeat all that again?
0: Yeah. So, if, we, if we're happy with God, if we're happy with what we have in this life, we call it sameach happy with what I have. So a person could look at life with glass half full, glass half empty. A person could look at life and appreciate what he has, and even if he's even if he's he he becomes he becomes used to it, he might be lacking. But for example, if you, if you I, I remember when my, my rabbi used to tell me he grew up in a, in a, in Morocco and they had four homes with a courtyard, and in the back of the courtyard they had a single outhouse. Okay. So to go to the bathroom they would go to the outhouse with four families to wait to see who's going to the outhouse. Okay? Now, he comes to America and he has a house
1: and he has kids Ten
0: and he has a bathroom with running water not to go to the well. Imagine how appreciative he is every time he turns on the faucet to know I have running water. Now, I grew up with running water, but it doesn't mean I can't be appreciative every time I open the faucet to think what would life be if I didn't have running water. My, my son just came back from a third world country on uh, Doctors Without Borders, and there's no running water. He didn't take a shower. He took. He, they had a, a pipe every once in a while somewhere where either they put water in a, in a, in a bucket and, and the, the bucket had a pipe and that's how they took a, a whatever the temperature was, shower. So to appreciate you have a shower when you live in a place with no water. So the rabbi said when he moved here and he has his family with one bathroom in the house, it was like God's gift. And then when he sees his son built a house and his son has seven kids... And there are nine or ten bathrooms, seven bathrooms for each kid, one for him, one for his wife, and one for the housekeeper. He says, you need a bathroom for everybody. (laughs) He says, the problem is our expectation in life goes so high that we tend to not appreciate or really see what we have.
1: So that's like the appreciation of the external awareness around you. And one element is we're all equal or we're not equal.
0: So, where in this part
1: would you say that there's the you are happy with
0: Hashem, but then there's also the happy with yourself? Both the same. Okay. So, sameach, not everybody. Gets so, we, we use the words, the words is used, a person is satisfied with his part, with what Hashem has given him, with what his part is in the world. He's happy with what he has. Does that mean I can't try to get more? Does that mean. I can't do more. No, it doesn't. But I have to be happy with what I have. And is it
1: focused on being in touch with your purpose, like the Uh, study? So, so you're going into a deeper
0: into a deeper, which is really what it is. It's not just the physical accoutrements that come with life, so to say. It's also that. It's also being happy with who I am. That's part of it.
1: Because so happy is like with who, then it's like the connected to God.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That that's, that's exactly. Know, it's, like it's the connection. It's and, and they're I'm just, really... I'm and they, but I'm trying to no, but that's really where we're going to end. It's really the connection. Because, but then it the saying goes further. If you can bring joy to others, yeah. then God will relate to you as you relate to others, meaning he will bring joy to you, so to say. God's behavior towards you is a mirror image of your behavior towards others. In so,
1: fact, maybe I'd like to underscore the idea because in Christianity, it's like Christianity teaches that you know, good things come from
0: God and bad things are from the devil. You know, in, in, uh, in, in, in our paradigm, bad, both bad and the good they come from God. It's just how we hang on it. That matters. It's, a, it's, a, it's our perception of what's bad sometimes. Right. That, that, that's it. So he says that these dishes, these so-to-say dishes that we're going to eat, no so-to-say, these dishes, we say Ratson, we eat the dish, and we're supposed to say, wow, what an amazing world God gave us. Now, if you think 2,000 years ago when the Talmud is writing this, you lived in a place, you didn't get to have all of these dishes. Your typical meal might have been, you know, whatever, they, you know, there was some grain and uh, maybe we got it, maybe we got a vegetable, maybe. Now what you're eating is a variety of foods that you couldn't ever imagine eating. So we're eating these special on this holiday and we're tasting and appreciating the food that we eat. Today, what do we do? We eat because we're in a rush. We just get it down as quickly as we can. We rarely focus on what we're eating and appreciate the food. So one of the ideas to think about when they're writing this in the Gemara is that you're eating foods that you might not get to eat and you say, wow, what an appreciation that I have that the world is so miraculous that all of these things exist. We can go into a party and we could see every fruit under the sun grown from everywhere in the world that just got flown in yesterday from, you know, Australia or here or there. And, okay, it's part of life. But if we look at a Kiwi and say, wow, this didn't grow down the block this came from a, a, the other side of the world on a plane that to get to me, I have to have an appreciation. So the idea of Rosh Hashanah is to look at the world as good and beautiful and what, not, what might not be sweet, we have to make sweet. It says we have to be happy. That's the secret of Rosh Hashanah. The Torah itself does not call Rosh Hashanah Yom Hadin, the day of judgment. The Torah calls Rosh Hashanah Yom Teruah, the day of Blowing, Blowing. Announcing. It says, what's the secret of that day? To be happy and be satisfied. It says, the Vilna Gaon, it talks about being happy. It says, normally a person going into judgment, he could be nervous. He could say, what if? But if a person realizes that I'm connected to Hashem, and whatever I did wrong, if I could turn it into this, this repentance out of love, it reverses everything. The Navi, so when we go into, Gali, when we go into exile... Ezra Nechemyah What do they tell the people? They're coming to Rosh Hashanah The people are nervous They tell the people You know what to do? Rosh Hashanah is coming What should you do on Rosh Hashanah? The people want to tear their clothes They want to cry Because they sinned They did bad things They took foreign foreign wives It goes through this whole thing And says No, you know what you should do? You should eat sweet You should drink sweet drinks You should eat fatty foods Fatty meat In those days, big delicacy. Again, my rabbi from Morocco said, they used to eat the shish kebab. They used to put the the meat and then the fat... And the vegetable And the, you know, the, like the tomato and the onion And the meat and the fat And if they had extra fat, they'd put extra fat And the fat would drip onto the other And it was so happy It was like the best food you could imagine And his son's a cardiologist And he would say, okay, <laughs> one day a year Don't worry about the cholesterol So <laughs> you should just so Israel and telling the people What should you do, Rosh Hashanah? Eat, drink, be merry, be happy Enjoy the day and that's the day of judgment. That's the day of judgment. Yeah. He says, so that the person should be a person, if a person's a person that can smile, if a person that looks at the world that everything is sweet, if a person that looks at it that way, then a person is able to sweeten the deen, he sweeten the judgment. He says, how does the Rimon, the pomegranate increase my merits? It's based on what? On my balance sheet? How do I increase? He says, the answer is, be happy. Be satisfied. Be appreciative. Is, it,
1: is that a day of judgment?
0: That ah, so that's the difference. <laughs> so how do you get more merits? He says that's how you take the sins, turn them into merits. You tear up the gezerot, because how did he get the gezerot? When it says the curses are going to come to you, these 98 curses, why did the 98 curses come? It says because you did not serve God, betuv levav, with a good heart. You weren't happy. You weren't happy. That's what brings curses. Wow. Not, that's what we read in this week's Pera We read 98 curses. It says, why do the curses come? Because you didn't serve God with joy. So it's not because you violated any, any, any mitzvot. It's because you weren't happy. You, you could miso- violate the mitzvot and you could fix. But why does the curse come? Because you weren't happy. You weren't satisfied. He says, how do you fix it? You, you, you got it because of lack of satisfaction, lack of enjoy. He says, how do you fix it? You reverse it, you do the other way. So this is the story. Last week we mentioned a rabbi. His name was the Shagat Aryeh. This was a guy, he, remember he was at 60. I told you a story. He was 60 years old. And what happened was they interviewed him to take the job as a rabbi. They were very nervous because they see he's 60 years old. He guarantees I'm going to be there till I'm 90. I'm going to guarantee you 30 years I'm going to work. In those days, a guy didn't live that long. At 88 he was on a ladder in his library And he fell They thought he was going to die He says no I pray to Hashem Make sure Hashem I promised him 30 years You have to give me 30 years On his deathbed they came to him to do uh, Vidoy uh, English. English. Final. What's English uh, Confession To do a confession on his deathbed He says I have no confession to make I have no sins What do you mean you have no sins How could anyone say that he goes, you know what? I have nothing to confess. Why does he have nothing to confess? He says, because I was always connected to God my whole life. I was connected through Ahava to Hashem. So whatever I did, I work out with Hashem every day. He says, that's why I have nothing to worry about. I'm connected to Hashem. He says, before Rosh Hashanah, we read the curses. It's scary. But what's the cause of the curses? A lack of happiness that we didn't serve Hashem with joy. See what the Torah says. A person has to be happy, satisfied, loved, sweet says you could forget the balance sheet really you could forget the balance sheet because if you have this love and joy you could take every sin and turn it into a merit climb back up Maybe. says we always read this portion now because it motivates a person Okay, now I have to really think. Hashem loves me. Hashem cares about me. Whatever I did wrong, let me look at what I did wrong. Let me regret what I did. I'm embarrassed that I did it. How could I do this and God loves me so much? How could I do something if God loves me so much? How could I embarrass God by doing something wrong? If everyone knows that I'm like God's child because we read, V'ani matem you are children of God, then how could I do this? Says that's what a person has to do. He has to get to this level he has to get to this Sorry. level of Teshuvah. teshuvah, that I was on the street and there was something
1: was modest on the street. So, so what? I looked away and said, if I were to look at it, God would be upset and angry with me because I looked at it. So I looked away. Okay. Because you know
0: what you see
1: around the street sort a lovely modesty around the stuff.
0: So the, the, the this Very relates right. Right. this relates to the Bikurim. You bring the first fruits, everyone's singing, dancing, enjoying and appreciating the world that God gave them. What other mitzvah do we have that Hashem says you should be zocher to be here next year? What's the secret? Be-samachta. What's it says with regard to the first fruits? be hatov. You have to be. You have to enjoy, rejoice in all the good. That's the whole idea of the first fruits. You rejoice in all the good that God gave you. And if a person does that, then he says, "Don't worry, you're going to live. You're going to be fine. You'll have the next year." He says that. What happens? What What happens when a person is the opposite? What's the root of a lack of satisfaction, a lack of joy? Brings the Zal. he says, jealousy. A person is jealous, he's not happy. A person then cheats because he's jealous and he's not happy. It goes on and on. All of these things relate to a lack of satisfaction, lack of joy. He says, that person lacks a word, we call it shalemut, shalom. It's not really peace. Shalom, shelemut, is completion. Completion is this wholeness or satisfaction. He says that, that this person who doesn't have it can't love Hashem. He can't love God. Because They're happiness relates to shelemut, to completion. Completion relates to satisfaction. And this is true joy. He says, if you see it's good, you feel complete. You don't cheat. You don't look. You have what you true. need and you're happy. It's so true.
1: It's so true. If you are complete with the of Hashem...
0: You to you're coming them. to the Kohen you brought one fig but one fig, what's one fig? but the fig is special to me I planted my, my, my uh, farm whatever and the first one came I tied a ribbon and I was so happy that God is giving me all of this and I'm connected and I know that God is bringing the rain and God is helping it to grow so what happens when I bring this fruit I realize I'm connected to God this is my connection to God they close the stores. They do everything, sing and dance, everything, because everyone has to feel they're connected and they're joining and they have this appreciation. And again, the words are, A person has to rejoice in all of the good. I'm so happy. I'm so, so appreciative. A person is sameach. Rabbi, yeah. do I bring in the first fruit of the first three years? The first three years? No, that's orla. We don't touch it. You don't touch it at right. all. Right. So he says, So the secret to Rosh chana is to be serious, right? We have to be serious. But at the same time, we have to be satisfied with what we have. Too many people come into Rosh Hashanah with a list. It's called the gimme, 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 gimme list. (laughs) They think Rosh Hashanah has a list. I'm going to come to God and say, gimme, 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 gimme. But that's not what it is. We have to listen to the Navi. We have to eat the meat, drink the drinks, think of the smile. I could think of my rabbi's smile when he talked about the fat on (laughs) on the shish kebab. And I, and I said there was a crazy story I heard, and I just want to close with the story. And I, I heard a true story. A rabbi who I know swears the story is true. You had a family that was in Queens. They were living in Queens, and they had every... It's sort of, if you want to know, there's like a black cloud over somebody. Their mazal, their, their mazal was terrible. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. This one was sick, that one was sick, this one died. Everything was going wrong. And they went to Rabbi, rabbi Bukhatzera, and they asked him what to do. And he told them, on this and this day, I want you to make a big meal, and I want you to make a party. And I want everyone in your family to be in this party, and I want you to sing and dance and be happy with everything Hashem does for you. And that's all you should focus on the whole night. Being happy with everything Hashem gives us in this world and everything Hashem does for you. They made the party, it's as if the next day everything changed. Who was sick, wasn't sick. The luck changed, this changed. everything changed. Why? He says very simple. He says, "You can see if a person is happy with the world that Hashem gives him, he has teshuvah me'ahava. If he did something wrong, he could fix what he did wrong in a way that turns the so he says. How does? How is it possible that I'm going to say I want to eat this rimon and I want to and I want you to increase my merits because I eat the pomegranate? How is it possible? He says because at that way of being happy, <laughs> even if a person had all of these sins, all of these sins become." Merits, and they jump from this side of the scale to the other side of the scale, and they change the future. So really the key of Rosh Hashanah is to smile, be happy, be satisfied, and then we should think of that when we're eating those foods. The idea of, the kavana, of eating those foods, or thinking of eating those foods, is to be happy with the world Hashem gave him and to appreciate every one of those foods, to stop for a minute and taste them, and think of the beautiful world Hashem gives us. That's the idea.